this week on Three Questions by Corey Kareem. So I got to ask you, if your position becomes void because you, you're fired or because you quit, mm-hmm. who, who really has more to lose in that situation, mm-hmm. right? So they owe it to you to make you happy. This is a partnership. Right. This isn't like a this isn't a, like a master servant relationship mm-hmm. as like Absolutely. They, have they tried to paint. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem. The podcast where we sit down with some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. And that's right. You guessed it. We ask them three questions, sometimes four, sometimes five. But rather than talk about their successes or their wins, we focus on their failures. Uh, More specifically, we focus on the individual lessons that they learn from those specific experiences. So with that being said, my guest today is a career coach and talent recruiter in the tech space. His specialty is getting people jobs and building dream teams. Since 2019, this brother has helped 311 Black people land new gigs in tech. He is a true DEI champion. He's also the founder of Jupiter HR. Ladies and gents, Jermaine L. Murray, a.k.a. the job father. (laughs) Welcome to the show, my brother. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Mm. Uh, man, that's a, that was that was a killer intro. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no worries. You can use that. You can use the recording and use that at a later date. But before we even jump into these questions, man, um, I just got to say, honestly, personally, love your posts. Uh, the ones that challenge the norms that we're all trying to navigate, uh, get, uh, navigate through as professionals and specifically as as, as black professionals and it's not to say that you're saying anything that I haven't heard of before. I think what stands out for me personally is you're doing it on a platform where people abide by respectability politics, which is LinkedIn, right? Where people are not really saying what they really want to say because they know others are watching, so to speak. And you just tell it how it is and you call a spade a spade. And I, I love it, man. You keep it gangster on, on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, man. Like, um, I think, um, I think part of it is also like you know where I where I currently like work. So they have they have this whole message around like diversity, equity, inclusion, and also you know fostering spaces where people can be diverse in both themselves and and thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been I've actually been this loud on Twitter, but. I always kept it off of LinkedIn exactly what what you said, respectability politics mm-hmm. uh, and trying to like not rock the boat at my workplaces. Mm-hmm. And um, I got the job at Well Simple from a Twitter DM. Like I DM somebody on Twitter. Nice. I love it. For, yeah. They were recruiting for uh, recruiters at Well Simple and I slid in their DMs and I got the job and I was like, you know, um, two things happened. One, my, my, uh, my manager asked me, you know, what's one of the things that I want to do at Well Simple? And just before I got in the job and I told them, you know, if I get the job, I have an agenda to double the amount of black people that work at your mm, organization. Love it. Love it. I wanted to see what she's going to say. It's like, it a, it a white woman, right? <laughs> um, and, yo, I rate her because she was like, oh, bet. Like, tell me what we can do to, like, help right. with that. 
right? right? I was like, I like that. So I figured if like I already had bare well simple people follow me on Twitter, so they already knew like they already yeah. knew it was good. So I was like, all right, let's just bring the same energy to LinkedIn, and it's been jokes. Yeah, oh, I love it. I love it. And so, for context, for the so the people that don't know who you are, I know I gave you like a, a lightweight intro about what you're doing currently, but how did you get into this industry? What does your inspiration come from? Give us a little background on that and that sort of stuff. Yeah, so um, I actually went to school for broadcasting. Mm. I was trying to be the Black Larry King, <laughs> Mark Strong from, yeah. from Flow and G. Yeah. One of my heroes, I like, I was like, um, I used to listen to him and, and Gemini on, uh, mm-hmm. on the morning show of Flow. Mm-hmm. And I used to be like, I want to be like him. Mm-hmm. And I think Mark was like the best storyteller I've ever heard on radio. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to be like him. So I went to school and um, I graduated and I even actually interned at G working on their morning show for a bit. So it felt like a full circle moment. Right. And, after I graduated, I was like, all right, I want to get I want to get a job in the industry. And right. I tried my hardest to get a job in the industry. Um, I got a job at Sirius XM, you know, uh, hosting a co-hosting an NBA show in the night. Nice. And they canceled it a couple months later. Uh, I was like, I was like back to square one. And like, yeah. you know, I just took every single job I could while I was trying to like make it. I almost like I almost like uh, liking it to a. Uh, a musician, how they hold down different jobs while they're pursuing their mm-hmm. music. Of course. Broadcasting, right? But yeah. like, it wasn't paying the bills. Uh, you know, I hear you. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was harsh. So um, I was at one of my jobs one day and I sat down and I was like, you know, what is, um, what if I could get paid to do anything in this world, mm-hmm. what would it be that's not broadcasting? Mm. And I said to myself, uh, I would love to get paid to play video games. Like, Mm. I was like, I wish I could get paid to play video games. And um, I was like, all right, I'm not trying to like train the hours it would take to become a pro gamer. Right. Step back. What would you, what else would you do? And I was like, I would love to just work for PlayStation. Next time a PlayStation drops, I can get a free one. So I went on PlayStation's website and I literally read every single job that they had on their career page Mm -hmm. until I came across one that said like senior technical recruiter. And I'm like, that sounds like something I could do. Right. Uh, and then I looked more into recruitment and I fell into like the rabbit hole and I was like, okay, I want to be a recruiter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got my first gig at an agency and then I jumped to another agency and then uh, I moved out to Montreal and, and I worked at like an incubator and, and I just started working in startups and that kind of mm-hmm. brought me to here. Um, in my, in terms of like where my inspiration came from, um, while I was out looking for broadcasting jobs, I trained myself on how to write resumes. Mm. You know, I paid somebody six fifty for a resume and they did a bad job. So I was like, let me do this myself. Right. And then right. from there, I was able to, I started out Jupiter HR, which started out as a resume writing service. Okay. I started to get some really good results. My friends were like, yo, if you can get like, if you can get results like that, do results for me. And, and like it kind right. of just snowballed. Um, and I, it became resume writing and an interview prep. Mm. Um, and then when I became a recruiter, I kind of went to go look at like the the different skills that are necessary. And um, I remember one day, I remember one day um, I had this candidate come in. We got mm-hmm. we got this candidate a job as a job developer back in like 2018. So he mm-hmm. he was paying him was paying him like 130 thousand remote. So this was like before remote remote was a thing. And like right. 
you know, he comes in and he's like, yo, like, thank you so much for this. Um, he says to me, like, um, this was a big moment for him because he's originally from, uh, I believe he was from, uh, from the Ukraine. Okay. And he was like, you know, um, as an immigrant, I had to take a lot of contracting roles and a lot of those, you know, took me away from my family. He's telling me that he spent, his family lived in, uh, his wife and his child lived with his, I think it's like his, his cousin or something. Yeah. They, uh, they lived with his, with his cousins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had to work out in like Manitoba on a contract because that's all he could mm-hmm. get. So like, he's like, you got me my first full-time job here in Canada. It's remote. It's paying me well. And he's like, uh, when I was working in Manitoba, I actually missed my son's first steps and my son's first words. Wow. And he's like he hasn't been able to live with himself about for that. So like, he's like, my son's starting daycare and now I can walk my son to daycare and I'll be part right. of those schools. And I'm right. like, you know, I'm like, that's, I'm like, that's a very beautiful sentiment. And um, he was skipping on the way out of the office after he signed the offer. Right. Yeah. And as I'm watching this man skip, I had this thought in my head. This this little thought. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm super happy for this guy. I'm, 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 I'm so glad he's going to be able to like, you yeah. know, have a better life with his kid. Man, I wish he was black. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, and it's real. It's, it's real. real. It's honest. Yeah, man. That's that, and that. That's where I was like, all right, let me shift focus now. I'm a recruiter, right? I have access to employers that are basically like, yo, help us find people to hire. Yeah. Right. And I'm like. I'm gonna find some people for you to hire that are yeah. black. Yeah. And I started to um I started to go out and I started I went to all these networking events and I always the first thing I did was look up for black people. Yeah. Like let me find let me find black people and I want to know every black person in the room mm-hmm. and kind of form a community from there. And um that was when like the whole like Jupiter uh Jupiter HR really started to like really form into something beyond resume writing. Right. I realized that I could use my my access and my 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 connections and my knowledge as a vehicle to get more black people into the tech space. And like at first I didn't know what the official numbers were. I just knew that like anytime I was in a room, mm-hmm. a, a tech room with black people, 99% of the time, if if I'm not the only black person there, I mm-hmm. came with the other black person. <laughs> <laughs> So it was like, I'd like to see more of us in this space. And then I actually read this report from the Brookfield Brookfield Institute in collaboration with Ryerson yeah. from like 2016. But it revealed that like black people only represent 3% of the tech industry. Right. And we are also the 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 racial group that gets paid the least. Mm. Uh, and I was really pissed at that point. So I was like, I, right. we go, we're going to, I'm going to like make actual change. And, um, 2019 comes around and I said, all right, I'm going to try and get a hundred black people jobs in tech this year. Didn't work out that way that well, unfortunately. Um, I think in the first year we only did like, I only did like 67 people. Okay. Uh, and part of that was also cause I ended up moving to Montreal to get away from a toxic uh, work environment. Um, so we did 67 in 2019 and then in 2020 we did 85 and mm. i remember i remember uh march i was remember, like going into march i was like we're tracking really well i was like we, we got like i think we had like 30 people at that point at the end like towards the end of february and i'm like i'm i'm like actually ahead of pace and then the pandemic hit everything right. kind of froze 
Right. So it was a miracle that we managed to help out 85. And um, let me, uh, before I jump into the next, let me define what help out means. So when I say I helped out like X amount of black people get jobs in tech, that could mean anything from um, they use one of my resume templates. Uh They, they've used a resume that I've made for them personally. Uh I've interviewed prepped them. Um, I've either introduced them to the hiring manager or referred them to the hiring team or I hired them directly. Mm -hmm. So those five categories is what I used to define me helping somebody. Right. Um, and then there's also like a sixth category where like if people come up to me and they said that a tweet or, or something that I put out helped them and gave them advice or something like that, yeah, then we would count that. But I only count that if they come to me and they say it. Right. Um, so with that said, 67 in 2019, 85 in 2020. Um, I made a tweet December 20th, 2020, saying, I'm come hell or high water, 2021, I'm going to help 100 Black people get jobs in tech. Yeah. And we finished 2021 with 126. Well, congratulations, dude. Thank you. Thank that's, you that's amazing, man. That's I think there's so many nuggets and gems you could take from that that story alone i mean once the power of you know speaking it into existence and just kind of putting pen to paper and i think something that we often gets missed or lost in in today's world especially since like you know we're both from the black community obviously and i think i heard someone else say that the the biggest educator in our community is is hip-hop is 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 the music and I don't personally necessarily have a huge issue or challenge with that, but I think what happens, what ends up missing from that is there's this focus on just get the bag, right? Just get the money, the end result, and not just focus on creating value. And what I just heard you describe is the way that I'm going to make a living, make my career is by helping other people. So you're you're creating value, right? You're filling a gap, you're filling a need, you're solving a problem. And I'm all about that, man, because I think that's how the best businesses are started and created. And those are the ones that that truly uh, move society uh, forward as a whole. But um, let's get into this. Mm. All right. So question number one, um, as a career coach and and technical recruiter, what has been your biggest failure to date and and why do you think it was your biggest failure? And ultimately, how did you get through it and, and over it? I think I think my biggest failure to date was um, I don't know if this. OK, so two it was two things. One is uh, I got fired for one of my jobs, mm-hmm. um, which is is whatever when you've had as many jobs as i had like you're gonna get fired a couple of times right <laughs> <For real. laughs> it know it's it always sucks don't get me wrong like yeah, yeah, yeah. it always sucks and um i was feeling awful about myself because i was like how the hell are you a career coach and you get fired mm, um like that's you know so i was like that's that is that's like a really just a sucky situation um and i got fired because i was focusing too much on my business and not my actual like nine to five job. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing that the thing that helped with that whole situation is that it gave me a lot of good perspective. One, it gave me a perspective on the fact that like you're never defined by your failures. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I got fired. I thought that 
I was going to have to stop talking or helping people because like I got fired. What's what, like, what, what stance do I have to advise somebody when I couldn't even keep my job? Um, I thought that I was going to have to move from uh, back from Montreal to Toronto in shame. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was extremely cruel to myself. Like there were just Mm -hmm. some thoughts that I had about myself, about how pathetic it was because I, I lost this great opportunity. Um, and I think the last thing was, was that I allowed it to kind of, in a way, mold how I viewed myself for a little bit. Mm. Now, I always, I, I started realizing, like, first, like, the failures don't really define you because, like, at the end of the day, like, you still have a set of skills that you can, you can market, that you can get out there. Right. Uh, and B, it, it also made me realize just, like, how vulnerable we all are when it comes to our job process and why it's important for us to build up our own personal brand, right? Mm, and um, a personal brand is literally like, I like to think of it as a, a, your reputation for what you're known for mm-hmm. there because people have heard from the grapevine about what you do. Mm-hmm. Somebody goes out and they search you up on Google, come across your stuff on the web, on the web and they kind of form an opinion off of that in terms of like what your reputation is. So right. it comes to like personal brand, like I, like people should keep, success logs of every time they've had a win right you know, people should keep track of their kpis even if they're not given out by management right uh, because these are skills that they can't take away from you even if they fire right. you right? right you're still gonna know how to do x right so either find some way to do it on your own and like project it out there or like go into a new environment as a subject a subject matter expert using your failure of like educating you on what not to do mm-hmm so that's kind of like how I kind of came back in it. And I, I also say that to the people that I coach, you know, don't let like the struggles that you're having define who, how, like how you see yourself. Right. Uh, job searching, interviewing, salary negotiation, working at a crappy company. These are all heartbreaking and soul crushing experiences. Right. Like have some grace for yourself. No, a hundred percent, man. I think you hit on all the notes on that one, especially the part about when you fail at something, the internalization of like beating yourself up, the the negative voices, been there, done that, got the t-shirt too. Trust me, I feel like I could write chapters on that alone. Hence why I have a podcast about failure in <laughs> itself, right? Yeah. So it, it's what I find interesting is the the ability to take something that you you know arguably didn't do well at or for whatever reason happened. And then spin that into a lesson, whether it be for yourself or other individuals. And again, I guess at the end of the day, it's like for me personally, I want to make failure as widely acceptable as success. And I mean that in a sense that we're not afraid to talk about it. It's not something you you try to sweep under the rug, even from a resume standpoint. Like you have a discussion, like, yeah, it didn't work out. Here's why. Here's what I learned from it. And here's how I've you know, the knowledge that I've gained for it. So I love the the fact that you were able to kind of take what you, what didn't work out so well, spin that and work that into your, into your favor. Um, now going on to question number two. So what would you say, Jermaine, from your experience are some of the challenges that black potential candidates face from recruiters and employers? And in your opinion, what needs to change, man? So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's multifaceted. So like on one hand, like we, we have to always fight against like that systemic conditioning, mm-hmm. um, 
that report that I, I, I cited earlier in our conversation, the Brooklyn mm-hmm. report that told like 3.3% of black people were yeah. Um, It dove into like why we we're also like the lowest paid ethnic group. Mm. Uh, and it's because systemic racism has conditioned people to associate poverty with black people. It said that um, uh, uh, your average white citizen would, would have an easier time um, seeing a black man in a suit and, and guessing he's a janitor. And then versus seeing a, a white man in a tracksuit and guessing that he's a he's a doctor, right? Um, so mm, like, that's that, interesting. You know what I'm saying having that that perception when we go into these salary conversations work against us because like, and I use systemic conditioning and not systemic racism mm-hmm. because we know that the rate we know racism is prevalent in this world. There are because and as, as a result of that, people have been conditioned to think one way, even though like even though when like you read it back, their actions back to them, they might actually be horrified, but like the conditioning has them thinking has warped what right or wrong looks like. And in a way we are D black, black people are dehumanized because of the system because Mm -hmm. like people don't have empathy towards us unless they're us. And it's it's not just with jobs. It's also with like in the medical field, right? How some people think are some doctors or medical racism is basically Doctors saying like black women can take more pain, right, right, right. than other diagnosed, yeah, hundred percent, yeah. So it's like these perceptions bleed into like how we're how we're seen how we're seen on every level, and in in tech or in even any job um, when it comes to salary negotiations, they are always going to assume um, that you'll be happy with with the less amount mm-hmm. uh, because that's what you're technically quote unquote worth. Um, so. I always encourage black people to like always go in and like draw a line and don't be afraid to like walk away. Right. Uh, companies respect you for it. Honestly, when you fight back or when you not, not when you fight back, but like they present you an offer and you counter, they respect you. If you, they respect you, even if they don't like hire you for it, they respect you for like standing your ground and be like, no, I'm not, I know I'm not taking what I'm, what I know I'm, I'm worth more than right. Uh, I'm worth less than. Um, so, uh, in terms of like for us, what we can do is we have to like find community. And in that case, that means like looking for places where we're respected, where there are a lot of us, mm-hmm. uh, or just looking for places where we can share information, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what should I expect for this kind of role? These kind of conversations around salary, salary being transparent with right. the information is how we can be best equipped going into these conversations. I like that. Yeah. No, I, I really like that because I think the community pieces. Is huge. And I think personally, I know there are some organizations out here, like, you know, to a lesser extent, you have like First Fridays and then you have, um, I think you were a part of it, the, um, uh, was it uh, Black uh, Tech, you know what I'm talking Black BPTN. Tech, yeah, BPTN. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, so I think there are networks out there that exist, but the sharing of information is highly valuable. And I think it, it lacks at scale here specifically for black professionals here in Canada. A few of the things that you said that, that triggered some things in my mind is you're talking about that, that example from that report, how, you know, uh, society at large would see, you know, a Caucasian man in a tracksuit and more likely to associate him to being a doctor versus a janitor and the opposite of a black man. And I had a similar conversation with a good friend of mine and that's saying that's the power of media. I was like, you know, you got to understand for people, for 95% of people, seeing is believing. And I'm all for, 
you know, these stories that we tell for the black experience. But I where I kind of draw a line is when it's the same story. It's not to say that those stories are not true when you're talking about, you know, Jerome grows up with a single mom, you know, dad left him, he lives in the projects or the ghetto. But those stories got to understand, although true, they have an impact. If you keep telling the same story and it's broadcasted worldwide, globally, you are also contributing to the narrative or uh, how did you phrase it? The, uh, the conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it's very important for us, hence why I try to make a podcast that's a little bit different than what would be, you know, just focus on like pop culture and, and stuff like that. Although I do enjoy some of that stuff. The other thing I'll say is, man, with the uh, uh, systematic conditioning, as you described it, I also feel that it applies to us in hiring positions. Now, I'll give you an example, like a question that I'm asking myself, because I don't know if you're familiar with the Ryan Coogler uh, situation that happened in, in Atlanta. Oh, but a month that almost died. Yeah. It, so that actually happened in, in January. But what I found so interesting about it, Jermaine, is the bag, bank teller was black and the manager of the bank was black and the bank in itself was predominantly black. Right. The manager and, was black, black, too. Exactly. Correct. So that's that's mind blowing. Right. And so anyways, my point of bringing that up in this particular conversation is that I feel like irrespective of race, that systematic conditioning, it it, it knows no color. So they're potentially less likely to happen that a black person could be in a position like you're in where they can hire somebody and still fall victim to that that kind of conditioning mindset, right? Where they're undervaluing or whatever their own reason, because that just blew my mind. I was like, how does she do that? When she, uh, anyways, that's, that's my two cents I, I, on that. I'll actually also give you an, uh, an example of how it also affects people with good intentions, right? Oh. I, I made a post about this on LinkedIn. Um, I had somebody reach out to me. I didn't read the rest of their message because the first sentence was so like flagrantly racist yeah uh, it was coming from a good place and I, yeah. let, me, let me explain because that's the, <laughs> that doesn't sound good but he was like you know he's like jermaine uh thank you for making a post about the black experience you know i really appreciate your perspective you know um mm-hmm. i too grew up in poverty and my mom had me at a young age mm-hmm. and i stopped reading there because i'm like what about the black experience made you think that poverty and a single mom or a young mom um, was going Mm to make you like um, align or make you Mm -hmm. relate to my experience. I was like, dog, my mom had me at 27 and 19. (laughs) Like my grandmother wasn't sure she was getting grandkids. Right. 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 You think cause I'm black, like I have a teenage mom. Yeah. 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 And I was like, I'm like, you try to come in as an ally, but like, I know the conditioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it happens all the time. And to your point, sometimes, you know, it, it comes from an innocent place or, you know, um, it, 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 they, they, there's no malicious, there's no malicious intent behind it. But it, sometimes it's like, man, like, because to your, to your point, when you're talking about in a tech space, like I work in the tech space currently, or I've always worked in the tech ad sales space. And I've, all, I've always been the only one or one of few, very few and I can detail a time where when I used to live in New York, I worked for an ad sales company on Wall Street and I was definitely one of four, or one of five. 
And I remember, you know, I was having a tough time closing some deals and they they were saying, Corey, maybe it's because, you know, you sound uh, too urban on the phone. And to give you context, Jermaine, I was my market was the oil and gas market. So specifically, I was calling into uh, the good old boys of like Texas, Louisiana, and then some international markets like Norway and Brazil and Mexico. Um, but specifically, they were saying, you know, they think we're having some challenges with those southern markets. And, and you know, I was a young kid. I was like maybe a year and a half out of school. I was like 24. And Jermaine, I'm, I, I, sometimes I'm embarrassed to share this, but I actually changed my accent to a southern accent so I could relate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I was just trying to survive. You know, when you're fresh out of uni and you got that debt, you're just like sink or swim, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I, I definitely understand, you know, what people can go through. But I'm so glad we're in this. I'm so glad we're at this point in society where these discussions are not open, although they'd be uncomfortable and they make certain people feel a certain type of way. But I think it's 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 necessary to move the needle. Can I just can I just say something? Yeah, yeah. Part of the reason why I go by Jermaine L. Murray mm-hmm. is that I've held a couple of jobs under the name LaSalle's because Jermaine is a black guy. You know what I'm uh, saying? <laughs> that's hilarious. Yo, what am I like when you're like, you, yo, when you're like, yo, you're fresh out of school, you got debt, you need to pay for shit. Uh, I was applying for jobs and my dad, my dad's a cynical, old cynical Jamaican, right? Yeah. So like he was like, yo, your shout out to all my Jamaicans out there. Shout out to all the Jamaicans, Jamaica, yeah. Jamaica, Jamaica. My my dad's like, yo, your your name is too black, and I'm like, I'm like, dad, it's 2010. Like you yeah. know, we don't we don't we, we don't we don't we don't do that anymore. Yeah. And he's like, okay. Name is too black, <laughs> and, and I'm like, he's like, he's like, just just apply under a different name. So I was like, all right, my yeah. name Lascelles. It's a French name. Yeah. So I sent out some. I sent out. I applied to a job. I'm not going to say what the company is, but I applied yeah. to a job um, with the same resume twice. One mm. says Jermaine, one says LaSalle's. LaSalle's got a call back in 24 hours. Jermaine is still waiting for his call back. Wow. I worked at that company under the name LaSalle's for four years. Wow. So like sometimes wow. they'd, be like, they'd be like, yo, LaSalle's. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I'm like, oh shit, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I mean, we we've all more or less, most of us have all kind of done some. I don't know if you call it code switching or whatever, but we we've all done that at some point at some time, in, yeah, in our career. And unfortunately, it, it it is what it is. But things are now changing. Um. So on that note, which leads me to my third question. So, you know, we we both describe what we both live real life scenarios where we either had to, in your case, change or drop your first name. In my case, I I adopted or co-opted a Southern accent so I could sound similar to the people I was selling into. So what advice would you give Jermaine to that talented Black candidate who has the skills and the experience, but either A, seems to continuously get passed up, or B, they get passed up for that promotion. So they already have the, a job within the company, but they get passed up for that promotion. What what, what would advice would you give to that individual? Um, I I have a two-strike rule. Mm. Um, if I ask you for a promotion, if I ask you for a raise and you deny me, 
Um, and if I ask for, if I go for a promotion and I don't get it, I, I start handing out my resume. Mm. Don't be like, there's this whole stigma against job hoppers. Don't mm-hmm. be, don't buy into that stigma. Uh, I'm on a like, and I take it from me. I'm on my third employer during the pandemic alone. Mm-hmm. Right. I've seen, I've jumped up in salary, like at least 20% each time I've moved mm-hmm. jobs. So if they, if they want to be dumb and they don't, and they, they want to pay more for the person that's going to replace you, mm-hmm. let them be dumb. Right. If they can't value you, move on. Mm-hmm. I always go like, yo, from, um, from the moment a job stops serving you, mm-hmm. it is no longer worth being at that job. Mm-hmm. You are better off moving on to another company and start getting their pay raise and getting a fresh start. And if they're not good, do it again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and like one thing I always say, and like, you know, you talked about it earlier about people like, you know, getting fired or being let go and kind of being afraid to articulate those reasons in an interview. I'm not afraid to articulate those reasons. Mm-hmm. I will, I will each like, I left uh, the job, I, but my job before uh, I moved to Montreal, one of the reasons I left it is because in the first week, the, uh, the man, the owner of the company took me into a room and he yelled at me for talking too black. He, he's like, yeah, he was like, I don't like the way you talk. I don't like the way that you say you certain words. I want you to sound more like Bob. Right. And I was wow. like, it was it was crazy because it's literally like the day before my grandmother's funeral and he knew that right. so i'm like he put he 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 took me into the room as yeah. i was writing the eulogy right right and I'll, and I'll never fucking forget that and i and he yelled and he he kind of yelled at me he was turning red face and i was like i was like all right this is my first week here i'm like all right time to start looking for a new job and mm. when i was when i was applying it took me about two months about two and a half months to get out of that job and when I was, and I put that job on my resume, when people ask me like, yo, why are you looking to leave so soon? I tell them, I would tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. The company, the culture is not a good culture for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had leadership speak to me and say that they would prefer that I didn't talk as black as I did. And I just, I just leave it there. Cause how, depending on how that person reacts, lets me yes, know, know. Yeah. I want to work there. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they're horrified and if they're horrified, they will do everything in their power to explain, especially if they're white, right, or non-black, they mm-hmm. do everything in their power to explain to you why their organization and their company culture is not like that. Right. Right. And if they don't, that's a red flag. You need to leave. Right. So, no. like, if you're in that situation, do not be afraid to cut them loose. I love it. I love it. I love it. And you know, my personal struggle struggle throughout the kind of corporate landscape is naturally I. I have more, I'm actually in between an A type and then I have a sit back and observe kind of mentality. Um, It's like a 50, 50. And there's been times where I've wanted to be more vocal about certain things, but I sat back because I've gotten Jermaine in the past, the proverbial, you know, hand slap on the wrist, not to the extent of what you received, but like in, 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 in lesser toned ways. Right. And so it, it kind of conditioned me where I became hesitant when, even if it was things that are non-racial, but just things that I passionately believed in, like we should take a stance on this particular thing versus that I would just kind of play my role and, and, and subdue, if you will. Mm. And it, and to be honest, 
it's something I still kind of struggle with how much to, I guess what I'm trying to say is how much to work to be my fully authentic self and not worry about being reprimanded. It's something it's, it's like, it's a dance I still do to my, in my head to a certain extent. And I, th- I realize the jeopardy that that causes because it's like you're, you're mounting stress, right? Cause you're not being fully you. Right. And, and that, that creates so many different blockages in so many different areas. So I love the fact that you just, you're in this place where you call it like it is, you tell it like it is. And you're almost in a sense, you know, take it or leave it. This is who I am. This is what you're going to get. This is what I'm going to bring. And I think essentially that's what everyone should do when it comes to a job. And one of the best things that I heard recently that's really helped me to change my mindset in the last year and a half is when a, when a company hires you, whether you're self-employed or a standard employee, whatever it is, they hire you not, yes, they're hiring you to fulfill the tasks, the duties, the skills that that job or that whatever requires, but they're also hiring you for above and beyond that. What else can you bring to the table, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just what was on the posting. Let's just use that as the example. It's what are what fresh ideas, what perspectives are you bringing to the table, right? So the true companies, I believe they're looking for that. And that's something I always had to remind myself you know what I mean? But then again, there are some companies that like to pretend like they have that space and really they're not really about that. I always tell people like, yo, you need to, you need to understand that the dynamic between employee and employer is a lot more, is a lot, is a lot more even than you realize. Mm. If um, I say this, a a company doesn't hire people out of charity. Company doesn't hire people out of desire and they a company hires people out of financial need mm-hmm. right they hire you because this work isn't getting done and it's costing the company x mm-hmm. if a company brings you in and like a company company looks at each employee as an investment when um when they fire or let go somebody they consider it a bad investment both in time and in financials and the reason why they call it an investment is because there is an expectation of an ROI return on investment of course, if the company hires you for a hundred thousand. It's not because that company has a hundred thousand to burn. It's because you're making that company half a million, right? Five right? xing whatever they're paying you. So mm-hmm. I got to ask you: if your position becomes void because you you're fired or because you quit, mm-hmm. who is re- who really has more to lose in that situation, mm-hmm. right? So they owe it to you to make you happy. This is a partnership. Right. This isn't like a this isn't a like a master servant relationship mm-hmm. as like Absolutely. They, have they tried to paint it it's it's if everybody walked out of that business that business is frigged like right. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um so don't be if it, it, that's my whole thing like you know you are bringing five x whatever they they are paying you don't be afraid to go do that somewhere else mm. no I love that and I I think what really brought this that point, what you just described to the forefront is the pandemic. Yeah. I think the pandemic really put people in the position because one, yeah, you had some social uh, assistance both here in Canada and the U.S. And that gave people, I feel like it gave the right people. And of course, there are people that uh, abused it as well as there will with any opportunity. But it gave the right people the time to really sit back and think, what do I really want to do? And 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 use that time adequately to get into you know, whether it be a different division or a different role, different company, X, Y, Z. 
and it really leveled the playing field, right? So now they were calling it at the height of the pandemic, you know, or maybe just after the height of the pandemic, the mass exodus where employees are quitting their jobs and droves. Great and resignation. <laughs> the great resignation, right? And so, and and I, I love the the. It's almost like the the pendulum swung the other way, and now it's kind of almost balanced. Where, you know, I was talking to a a younger uh, coworker of mine, and she's like twenty four, twenty five, so she's just at the the earth, Gen Gen Z, I think that is. And she's saying her group of friends, you know, two, three years out of university, they're not accepting roles that require you to be in the office five days a week. That's now like off the hop where pre-pandemic, 95% of the time, that wasn't even something on the table you could discuss, you know? Now it's just like, now it's a bargaining chip, both for employees and for companies that might not have the big pockets like a, a Facebook or a Spotify or whatever, right? They can use that as a bargaining chip to get top talent saying, hey, you only have to be in the office one day a week, or you don't have to be in the office at all, or whatever it is. So um I, I love the fact that, you know, employees, workers, contractors, whatever you want to call them, now have realized their power and realized that it is more of a relationship, not just an opportunity. You know what I, you know what I love the most? I, I shouldn't say like, obviously I don't love the pandemic, but mm-hmm. like one of the things that the pandemic has forced um, has been like, like that I've been seeing has just been changed in terms of employment. Like you're right. The pendulum has completely swung the other way. Um, I found out yesterday I took, we went, I went to, I went to go watch Batman. I took a friend to, to dinner and we were all out. And one of my friends used to work, we got him into tech, but he used to work as a server at Pickle Barrel. Mm-hmm. And he, like, you know, he, he's like, he's like, I would be eaten if I was if I was working at Pickle Barrel. So, and I was like, what you mean? And he's like, everyone here is getting minimum wage. They're not they're not getting like docked pay anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it used to be like uh, before the pandemic, like servers are making like nine dollars an hour because mm-hmm. businesses were able to use tips as a as an excuse to not pay them right. uh, a living wage, right? Right. And I'm just and like, that's always been crazy to me. Mm-hmm. So, and that's always been the way it's been. Mm. Now that it's a standard that they have to, they're, they're offering minimum wage mm-hmm. either because of the legislature or because they realize they can't keep anybody. Right. I like that. Right. Right. And I, and I, and I, and I, I'm very vocal about companies forcing people to return back to work. Like I, right. I hate it. Like I'm, I'm a homebody. I like staying home. Yeah. Like gas is at an all time high, inflation yeah. is at an all time high. Yeah. Right. So it's like you're, like if you're gonna ask people to come back in the office, at least offer them a raise or right. something or like right. a stipend. Uh, but to just to do this and to be so like nonchalant about it, it shows like a a, a, lack, a a direct lack of care. And if you don't care, why should I care? Let me go find another place that that cares. Right. Let me work remote because there are a lot of them right now. No, hundred percent, hundred percent on that. All right, uh, Jermaine. Last question here. Uh, throughout your amazing career, what has been the best lesson you believed you have learned thus far? Best lesson. The best lesson I have learned thus far is that there is power in community. Mm-hmm. There is power in being united. Um, you can be, you can build community at your workplace, or you can just build community in your industry. But the um, the phrase like it's not you know um 
there's a phrase from this movie I watched where, the, where this guy was saying like he's he doesn't have problems he has friends and like that was the biggest lesson I've learned you know no matter what you go through if you have community if you have people supporting you you can get through it um in the employment space what that means is just keeping up with people that are in the same industry or same position as you at different companies you know when you're ass out you can turn to them and they can give you recommendations from within their own network um, or within their own company, you'll 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 always be surprised by who somebody knows that you didn't right. expect to know. Right. No, hundred percent. And you know what? That's something. When I had a similar situation where an opportunity didn't work out for me a few years ago, and I asked myself, "What would I do differently?" And one of the things I discovered is to be more deliberate in maintaining the upkeep of my professional relationships. So often now this year, I've had several Zoom chats with coworkers that I haven't worked with for over two years, just because just to touch base, right? See what's going on with them and just to keep those relationships alive, see how I could be of assistance, right? It's not always what you're trying to get, but I think that's a key thing that a lot of people uh, undervalue and, and miss altogether. Now, uh, time for rapid questions really quick. This is where I ask you three questions. You got to answer them in five seconds or less, meaning the first thing that comes to your mind. So Jermaine L. Murray, a.k.a. Job Father, question number one is, what's one myth everyone believes in when it comes to the job search or the interview process? One myth. That every single company has an ATS with an AI that automatically knocks out your resume. That's a complete myth. Mm-hmm. Only comp- if, if those type of things exist, companies like only companies like Google or Facebook um, have them. Your regular ATS is just a way for uh, companies to manage mm-hmm. uh, people who post to their postings. Mm-hmm. Um, and anytime you get a rejection email is because somebody read your resume and they said, this isn't, this person isn't a fit. And then they hit reject and it sent mm-hmm. out an automated template. Well, there you go. Cause that's a myth I believed in. <laughs> All right. Number two is culture fit a real thing or is that coded language? Both culture mm-hmm. fit is a real thing. Um, for example, somebody that's worked at a big bank, where they've had a lot of resources, where they have always mm-hmm. had team and they've always had clear clear direction, might not be a, a cultural fit for a scrappy startup mm-hmm. with with just a goal and no clear lines of what to do next. Mm-hmm. Culture fit has also been an excuse for people to to racist to be racist and to exclude people for any bullshit that's necessary. Like the job search in itself is highly subjective, mm-hmm. and the culture fit was a blanket statement that's been weaponized. So like mm. used to not have anybody, but a culture fit is actually like a real thing. Like somebody might need to be micromanaged to be effective. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be a cultural fit at a place with no oversight. Mm. I like it. Like it. Last one. In your opinion, what is the biggest mistake people make when it comes to their LinkedIn profiles? Uh, not being active on LinkedIn itself. LinkedIn is a social media platform. If you're trying to network with somebody, like their posts, comment on their posts, engage with them in their posts before you slide into their DMs. Also, uh, you should have an up-to-date LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks sus. If I have your resume and I go on LinkedIn, I can't find you. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Love it. So, Jermaine, uh, this has been a beautiful conversation, as I thought it would be. Um, but, guys, that concludes... Uh, this episode for today. And as you know, I always like to end with if you want to impress people, you want to, you know, just, you know, 
show everybody what you got. You know, talk about your wins, your successes, you know, brag about the money you make and the things you gain if you just want to impress them. But if you really want to have an impact on someone else's life, talk about what you learned from your failures, uh, those trans, uh, transgressions, excuse me, those down periods in your life. Talk about what you learned from those moments. That's how you really move the needle in someone else's life. So with that being said, uh, Jermaine and I, aka the job father, and I are out. Peace and love. Until the next time. Clockwise. 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 Clockwise.